Good morning, everyone, and thank you for tuning in today. If you need help keeping track, today is March the 1st. We've finally made it into a new month. February flew by quickly. Before we know it, daylight savings time will have us advanced an hour. But don't panic. We still have two weeks for that. So don't panic. Don't set your clocks today. And with (laughs) us today, it's Legislative Monday, and we have Representative Randy Fry here to talk about week number nine. Good morning, Randy. How are you? Hi, Jody. I'm good. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, I always panic in March because I'm like, oh, gosh, when am I supposed to change my clock? Because you just know it's March now. <laughs> well, it's just I'm just glad it's March. Yes. Uh, Jody, the best part of February is only has 28 days. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so bye-bye February. We won't miss you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, the weather has improved. Two weeks ago, we had a foot of snow on the ground. Today, we have a lot of water, but we don't have snow. Uh, we have warmer weather, warmer uh, conditions, and so overall, I think um, we're uh, we're headed in the right direction, and spring can't be that far away. Absolutely, a little brisk compared to the weekend. We had such a lovely weekend here in Indiana, uh, so make sure you still have your winter coat on if you go out today. But it's not going to freeze to death. <laughs> not like two weeks ago. <laughs> uh, it, it won't be that far away, Jody. I'll be able to find my winter coat for sure. Absolutely. Well, last time we talked last week, you guys were on the brink of approving the budget to move on to the Senate. How well, how did that go? Well, uh, Jody, today is the first day of the second half of the uh, 2021 General Assembly. And uh, and so all the bills that were filed in the House that passed the House have gone to the Senate and the Senate bills have come to the House. And those bills are all starting over in that process. So the budget did pass and, and went over to the uh, Senate, and they'll begin their hearings and Senate appropriations probably as early as today and uh, begin working on the budget process uh, through the Senate. So basically uh, in the House, there were 600 bills filed in the first half, 149 passed, or 25%. Well, 404 bills passed the Senate. Uh, 404 bills were filed in the Senate, 167 passed, or 41%. So that's a lot of bills. That's more bills than uh, 100 legislators have filed, and there's only 50 senators. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see what bills uh, have, have come over to the House. And we'll, it's going to be uh, getting uh, very busy again. I have, my four, I have four bills that I authored that are in the Senate. So I'll have to shepherd those bills with the senators that are sponsoring them. I have bills that senators have sent me to sponsor in the House that I'll have to shepherd. Plus, I have to run my committee and the bills that are assigned to my committee and then the committees that I'm on. So the second half, believe it or not, is busier than the first time. Yeah, I imagine. So those bills, when when they are heard in in the respective House or Senate, do you um, go over and testify on behalf, or do those fall on to the people that are sponsoring, um, that you've, you've moved on to have help sponsor? How does that work? Well, that's a great question, Jody. And, and when my bills go to the Senate and they'll have to go through committee, I try, if possible, to be there to testify in committee on behalf of my bills. They're mine. On the other hand, the senator who's sponsoring them will testify on the bill should the author not be able to be there. So, uh, but I'll try to be there. It's just a matter of whether their Senate committee is ha- hearing a bill at the same time my committee is hearing a bill, and I may have to be in my own committee. I have, may even be that I have a bill being heard in two committees at the same time. Uh, that happens. And so uh, th- that will uh, 
make you work very hard to figure out how I can be in two places at once. So, um, yeah, it just gets really busy, um, but um, that's also uh, a big part of, you know, the General Assembly. We're going to take this number of bills, however many it is, and it'll probably come down in, in size. Uh, generally, there'll be about 220 to 230, depending, bills pass at the end of session. So uh, we'll see how, how many uh, bills actually uh, make it. Uh, but um, the, the entire process begins today. Do bills ever get heard in more than one committee? Mm-hmm. And, and that can happen, especially if there's a fiscal with it, if there's money spent. So a bill that might be heard in Veterans Affairs and Public Safety that is good public policy that also has a fiscal statement attached to it will then be recommitted to the Committee on Ways and Means. And then they have to decide, okay, it's good fiscal policy, but are we going to fund it? Are we able to fund it? Is this the right year to fund it? Uh, the bill could pass the Ways and Means and go to the House floor or it could fail there. Um, there's, I think, 26 opportunities for a bill to fail. So uh, you have to go 26 and 0. That's pretty hard to do. <laughs> that, that is uh, a big score there. That's some odds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and two bills so far have passed all the way through and been signed by the governor. Mm-hmm. Well, House Bill 1002, um, both House Bill 1002 and 1003 were fast-track bills, meaning that the bills were heard in the House. As soon as they passed the House, they went to the Senate. They were heard in the Senate and have since gone to the governor for his signature. And um, House Bill 1002 is a bill that protects small business and school corporations from uh, uh, liability lawsuits if someone were to get COVID in that facility or claim they got COVID in the facility, so long as the facility is doing everything possible to protect the citizens that are there. Um, a lot of folks were very concerned that there would be many, many lawsuits filed against businesses and would just crush them, put them out of business. So this doesn't give anyone an exemption if they're a bad actor, if they aren't doing their job, but if they are doing the best that they can, then it limits the ability to have these lawsuits. Uh, and 1003 uh, guarantees school funding uh, at 100% level, whether the school corporation is in um, a um, uh, virtual school, the student is uh, home or home uh, virtual education or in a classroom. Law before this, Jody said that um, a student in the classroom was funded at 100%, but a student in virtual was at 85%. Well, no one foresaw a pandemic, and so no one believed that we were going to have this kind of a thing where students might be out of the classroom for, you know, months. And and so uh, we changed that, and we didn't want to punish or penalize the school corporations in any way. And so uh, that uh, they'll be funded 100%, whether the student was in the classroom or or uh, doing uh, virtual education. Both of those are signed into law and they're in effect now. Now, one of your bills, House Bill 1006, is headed over to the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us mm-hmm. about that. It's uh, about uh, the integrity of law enforcement officers. It is, Jody. And you remember, or everybody remembers last summer, there was a great deal of of a concern, conversation, even insurrection based on law enforcement action. Um, and so we wanted to reevaluate our law enforcement and make sure, first off, that we protected their integrity. We uh, love and respect our law enforcement officers, and we want to make sure that we take care of them. But also we wanted to make sure that uh, the training that they were receiving 
was adequate to protect the citizens' health and safety, uh, as they are at times people are arrested and they have to be uh, taken into custody. So we wanted to, uh, to reevaluate that. And so law enforcement came together uh, all summer. This bill was worked on by Representative Greg Sterwald, and uh, they uh, pulled uh, the Sheriff's Association, the FOP, um, different uh, law enforcement agencies came in and came up with this bill. And so first it does, um, it allows the law enforcement training board greater discretion and ability to decertify officers who've demonstrated a pattern of abuse of their authority. Now, what has happened in the past, Jody, is the law enforcement officer would be brought up on disciplinary charges, uh, something uh, was done inappropriately. Instead of receiving the disciplinary action and maybe being terminated, the officer would be allowed to resign, um, and therefore that, quote, black mark didn't go on their record. And so then the officer could go to a different department, get a job there, and the pattern of behavior repeats itself. And so this says, nope, if this is going to happen, the law enforcement um, uh, training board will know about it, and uh, you could, the officer could lose their ability to function as a police officer in the future. It also includes $70 million, which is in the budget appropriation, for uh, renovation of the Indiana Law Enforcement Academy. The Law Enforcement Academy, when it was built, was state-of-the-art, but it's not anymore. It really needs updated. I've toured it multiple times, and it uh, absolutely needs updated. And so $70 million will be spent out there to bring it up to, to uh a much more modern, much more um, usable facility. And, and then it also provides for body cameras for our police officers. You know, Jody, one of the things that uh, body cameras do is they protect the officer by saying this is what really happened. But it also protects the citizen because it says this is what really happened. Right. And so um, that we believe that's very important as well. And so the state of Indiana is going to fund those body cameras. So. Uh, it's a very important bill. By the way, it passed the House 96 to 0. Um, everyone believes that it's the right thing to do, uh, to reevaluate uh, law enforcement, make sure we support our officers, make sure we give them the respect that they deserve, and at the same time protecting our citizens. Yeah, that's super important. They always say, you know, that there are three sides to every story, and that body camera, I feel, would always provide that neutral uh, story because it's just recording what's happening. Exactly. We're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll continue speaking with Representative Randy Fry. And we're back. If you've just tuned in today, it's Legislative Monday, and we're here discussing Week 9 with Representative Randy Fry. Well, another important bill that we've talked about several times, uh, moving on, I'm assuming, to the Senate, House Bill 1032, with the Safe Haven Baby Boxes. It is, Jody. That's a bill I authored, and it's over in the Senate. Hopefully, it'll get a hearing this week or next, and uh, we'll get that bill moved on to the governor. It expands the ability to have safe haven baby boxes. You have one in Batesville there at Margaret Mary Community Hospital. Uh, just gives a lady an option to, uh, if she's in a, a crisis situation where she has a newborn and she just can't raise it or take care of it, uh, she can surrender it. She's given it life, and then she'll give it an opportunity to have uh, a healthy life by surrendering it in the baby box. We want um, ladies uh, to have that option. Yeah, and we know, you know, the efforts, it's wonderful that the community has that available here at Margaret Mary Health Hospital in, in Batesville. Um, but you're also doing uh, a lot of different effort, efforts for other communities 
um, surrounding Batesville um, to try to help fund safe baby boxes in the area, we're, right? We're working on one in Greensburg right now, and uh, I think probably one in Hanover pretty soon, and and hopefully VV pretty soon. So we're trying to get them. I would like to see a safe baby, baby box in every county in Indiana. I think it's important, especially the counties along our borders, because Kentucky's law is not like ours, and uh, ladies can simply come across the, the bridge and, and surrender their infant if they would like to do so, uh, which is maybe the right thing for them in their current situation uh, and other states as well. So yeah, that's, uh, this is a, a particular goal of mine to get a safe haven baby box in every county in Indiana. Yeah, and super important, too. Regionally, I would imagine that a woman in crisis probably doesn't have the means to travel a distance to be able to get to one of those boxes. I would say so. And plus, we want her to know where it is. If you live in a community like Batesville or Greensburg, you'll know where it is. If there's one in a neighboring county, you may not know where it is. You may know they have one, but not know the location, for instance. Right, and and probably at that point feel uncomfortable maybe even asking in your situation, mm-hmm. well, where is one of well, these? Well, sure, that's, that's true, too. Well, one important thing needing to go by other than just the budget this year is the redistricting. Um, you guys have to do that here in 2021 as well, right? We do, Jody. By, co- by the Constitution, we have to redraw the congressional districts, the House and Senate districts every 10 years based on census data from the federal government. The issue is COVID-19 has slowed the census to the point where we don't have the data. And normally we would have it in January, or early February, and know uh, where those districts would be drawn and uh, and be working on that now. But we don't have that data. And uh, earlier we thought we might have it in May or, or June, but now it looks like late summer. So uh, the uh, legislative session this year by Constitution must be over by the end of, of April. And so uh, we also have to draw these districts. And so the governor will have to call a special session, bring the General Assembly back sometime later this year to draw those districts. Um, Basically, if you wanted to run for office in 2022, you wouldn't know what district you lived in because the lines most likely will change. The reason they change is because there needs to be a balance of the similar population numbers in each district. As you know, Jody, House District 67 encompasses all or part of seven counties in southeast Indiana. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in Marion County, there's nine districts alone in Marion County. So that's based on population. So that everyone's vote in the General Assembly should be equal to based on the number of, pop- of people in each district. And so we know the district lines move, people move, population expands in some areas, decreases in some areas. And so we'll just have to figure out, um, you know, those districts. In, but we have to get them done prior to uh, 2022 uh, election filing time. In your time in office, has your district um, seen a lot of different changes, or does it, for the most part, stay the same? Well, it, um, it's only changed once. Uh, I was elected in 2010, and in 2011, the districts were changed. In 2010, when I was elected for 2010 and 11, I represented Batesville, for instance. I represented Olenburg. Um, I represented Greensburg, uh, Rush, Rush County, a lot of Rush County. And, uh, and my district changed radically in 2011, and, uh, and now I have a third of Decatur County. I have most of Ripley County, but I don't have Batesville or Sondland. 
and I go all the way to the Ohio River in Madison, and I go from the Bartholomew County line to Lawrenceburg. So that it just it's much much bigger. Um, now the district could be smaller if you put like the city of Greensburg and city of Batesville in it. It wouldn't have as many counties. Um, but for some reason, and I have very little to say about it, the district was um, drawn the way it is. By the way, I love my district, and uh, I hope they don't change it much. Do you have to live in the district that you serve? Yes. So I imagine that probably has to play a little bit a part of who is being represented currently when they do that? Mm-hmm. Well, make, I mean, you can, it has happened before where, a legislator represents a certain district is drawn into a different district that happens. Uh, and we'll see if it happens, but, uh, um, it's, uh, it's not very common, but it does happen. And are those effective immediately or do those not go into effect until well, the next election? It would be effective in the 2022 election. So, uh, in November of 2022, when the election takes place, um, whoever is successful in that election would then assume the new district. All right. Very interesting to hear. I don't imagine, <coughs> excuse me, there's probably too many changes coming from that. I don't know, but I don't know. I don't well, know. It's hard that, to say. Yeah. Since we haven't yeah. seen any real mm-hmm. census data come out yet, um, it's hard to see which cities have grown and which cities maybe are smaller. And um, in mm-hmm. the past, it, it showed that rural areas in Decatur County, Ripley County, Franklin County um, are growing slightly. So mm-hmm. it'll yeah. be interesting to hear that final data once it comes available uh-huh. well lastly uh, we've had a lot of questions that have come about um, through social media or emails and that is um, mm-hmm. a lot of teachers or anyone related in the education uh, careers are concerned about certain bills that are coming across um, can you mm-hmm. help us with that information specifically I think people sure. most so I'm want- sure yeah go ahead I'm sure they're referring to House Bill 1005. House Bill 1005 expands the vouchers uh, for uh, for parents to take advantage of if they wanted to send their child to a private school versus public school. And uh, so let's go back to uh, to uh, July, August. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We, the General Assembly, was being told that the budget would have to be cut 10 to 20 percent, uh, and that would have been every part of the budget from NDOT to state parks to state police to public education. So we would have been looking at a major uh, funding shortfall. Well, it didn't happen. Indiana's budget is strong. We've grown our economy. Our current budget that went to the Senate is about $36 billion. The budget for two years ago was $34 billion. We've grown the budget $2 billion without raising taxes. So what the the House budget that went to the Senate contains is over $300 million in new funding for public education. There's over $400 million in the budget for education, but it expands through House Bill 1005 the ability for parents to decide where they want to take their child, what school they want their child to go to. And the tax dollars that those parents spend to fund that uh, education can go with their student. See, the difference is, the philosophy difference is, are we funding schools or are we funding kids? And for funding kids, the parents know what's best for their child, and they can send them then based on the school that they want their child to go to. Um, 
Now, in our case, we have wonderful public schools. Batesville Public Schools is one of the best in the state and has been for years, as well as Southerplay and Milan and Jacksonville and, and Sun and Dearborn and on and on. But there are public schools that aren't so good in Indiana, and those parents want the ability to move their child to a different school, even if it's a private school, and take that funding with them. And so, again, the, the difference is are we funding buildings and are we funding school corporations or are we funding kids' education? And that's the difference. So uh, I can tell you I don't think we've seen the end of funding for K-12 education, public school education in the budget. I think it will increase substantially. Um, I think um, we're waiting on the next budget forecast, which comes out in early April, and that will really give us a good indication of what's available for us um, going forward for the next two years uh, for Indiana's fiscal health. And uh, we'll be able to make a better determination about what funding will be available. You don't know what the Senate's going to do with these, uh, this bill either. Uh, 10.05 may sail out of the Senate and it may get drastically altered or it may just completely uh, fall apart. No one knows. So we'll just have to wait and see how that goes. We're just halfway through. Uh, so that, that's the explanation I think uh, that your listeners are looking for is why would we increase um, the ability for someone to go to a private school and take their tax dollars? Well, because we're funding kids and kids' education. I think one other critique that I've heard from most people is that their concern is that charter schools, public schools, they don't have the same regulations um, that are required that 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 public schools are. Uh, and so I think maybe that's where they see concern. Well, charter schools are public schools, and so vouchers don't go to charter schools. Charter schools are, are public schools. They're different. Charter schools are usually put in place for a completely different reason. Uh, a lot of times charter schools are for a specific uh, course of study, uh, maybe uh, someone who uh, specializes in music, maybe special needs. So they're, they're not the same thing. Uh, when we're talking about vouchers, they, they're going to private schools like uh, St. Louis or, or Olenberg Academy, places like that. Uh, that. That's where this would go. All right. Well, with that, we know you have a very busy week ahead of you, and we thank you for your time, as always, helping mm -hmm. us to know what's going on at the State House in Indianapolis. Thank you, Jody. Always appreciate it.